0: Hey, and welcome to the Designers Getting Coffee podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about your website and answering the question, is your website turning away potential clients? This is such an interesting topic because I think our websites kind of become like our babies and we love them and we see them all the time and we know them, but we don't always think about what it looks like to check out our website with fresh eyes and see how our potential clients are really seeing and experiencing things. So we've got a few tips for you, including things that we suggest you keep in your website and invest in to make better and some things that we also think it's good to curate and get rid of. So dive in to episode 16, is your website turning away potential clients.
1: Hey, I'm Kate Vendewald. And I'm Leslie Myrick. For the last year, we've been chatting weekly to discuss the ins and outs, ups and downs of running our interior design businesses and decided to hit the record button. We are interior designers getting coffee with each other and now you. While some might choose to guard the hard-earned secrets of their
0: design success, we've chosen to support, encourage, and empower one another to be the most
1: kick-ass business owners possible. Welcome to the Designers Getting Coffee Podcast, real talk about running your design business with head and heart. Come join the conversation.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by the Interior Design Business Kickstart Kit. If you're thinking about starting a business or you've just launched, let me help you kickstart things to make major progress in a short time. The Interior Design Business Kickstart Kit is six months of intensive one-on-one coaching, plus all the business documents you'll need to crush it behind the scenes and launch your design business like a total boss. Book a complimentary call with me to learn more at lesliemyrick.com coaching. And now, this is episode 16, Is Your Website Turning Away Potential Clients? (laughs) Dum-dum-dum! I felt like that needed a very dramatic introduction, Kate. (laughs) I think so,
1: for sure. How are you, Leslie? Good morning.
0: I'm doing good, except for a, an insurance snafu I was sharing with you. Long story short, designers, uh, insurance is garbage, and I'm out a lot of money. But
1: oh. <laughs> this
0: is neither here nor there. This is a health insurance related thing for my daughter. That's like the DMV. We will rebuild. It's like
1: that's like the DMV. They're just notorious for being ails, <sighs> like you said. Yeah.
0: So I'm good, except for that little bit of bad news this morning. But how are you doing, my friend? Great.
1: I'm excited for the weekend. Um. Yeah. yeah. But any any big plans? Oh, you know, it's my husband's birthday today. So we're taking him to the diviest Chinese buffet ever. I'm pretty sure you can get sushi and waffles. Um, And then (laughs) we're going to go lock ourselves in a room, in an escape room. Have you done any of them before? Escape room once. Yeah, it was fun. I'm really very claustrophobic, so I was not expecting to enjoy it at all. But uh, no, it was it was fine. It was good. So we're gonna do that again. My my friend commented that I was playing with fire going to a Chinese buffet before locking myself in a room.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you'll have to let me know how that goes, or or maybe don't.
1: (laughs) I will for sure let you know. So yeah, no, you guys, this is a topic I am super energetic about i feel very passionate that you need a banging website and um just we always leslie and i always jam out a little bit before we hit record just to organize our thoughts and i'll be honest um it's been a little while since i've done my own website audit and i feel like it's probably time you know because we always add things and change things and every now and then i think it's important to go through and just kind of scrub some stuff and so um I may talk about some recommendations today that I need to take my own advice on. So uh, don't judge too hard. But um, by and large, this is a very uh, passionate topic of mine and yours too, Leslie.
0: Yeah, I think a website is something that... It's easy to first of all just copy what you see other people doing without really understanding why. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to have blinders on to your own website because you're so in it. Yeah. You see it, you probably know it inside and out, and you don't always get that fresh perspective of what other people Experience it as. Mm-hmm. So I love that you talked about doing a website audit, Kate. I've never done like an official one, but I can remember one of our first business buddies coffee sessions. We just had our laptops and you literally drew me like a wireframe drawing of here's what I think your website should be and here's how you should change it. And it was so beneficial having a buddy yeah. to look at my stuff with fresh eyes. Cause in my mind, I'm like, it's my baby. I love it. It, it works. Same and then here. to have someone else see it that it's like, Hey, this isn't working as well as you think, or you're not, you're not actually communicating what you are intending to here. It can be a really good thing. So this is something if you have a designer buddy, if you've got someone, maybe not even a designer, just a friend, maybe another business owner, you guys can powwow with and say, "Hey, would you take a look at this with fresh eyes, objectively? Let me know if there's things that you can see are maybe standing out as not working, right. or you know, just remind you what. Hey, this is working
1: really well. Right. We all, I think, if that's the only thing you take from today, is don't rely on your own eyes to be able to see the same things because I I, I know this is true for me. I imagine it's true for most people that when you read your own words, you tend to visually scan over it um, because you're already in your brain predicting what word is going to come because you wrote the damn thing. But if you, I think I can say that on here, but if you can get somebody else, ideally it's somebody that can look at it from a business standpoint. Um, But even if it's your spouse or a best friend or whoever, just have a, a, different person who didn't write it, go over your, your copy. In addition to kind of looking at your, your overall content and your overall strategy. Now I'm going to just do a little shameless plug. I do one off, like it's different than what Leslie does with her full on coaching package, but I do a one-time, uh, call where I can do a website audit with any designers that want me to look over their website. So that's an option too, but, um, by all means grab a friend, um, have somebody look at it with you. Yeah, I think that's great. And Kate, you
0: are very, we're both very passionate about websites and you're a great person to bounce website thoughts off of. So I think that's fantastic. I know we have a ton of positive things to talk about with websites. If here's what we do think you need, but let's kind of start with what we see designers doing that is turning away potential clients or isn't as strong as it could be. So, what are a couple of things, Kate, that stand out to you when you see a website that is weak or is missing the mark or is just there's something not quite right and it's not going to be attracting the right people.
1: You know, this is something actually you brought up in our previous chat this morning uh, was that you mentioned, and and the reason I bring this up first is because I think it's the biggest mistake that I see the most often, Um, but you mentioned um, making it all about you. So, you know, things like, hi, I'm Jane Doe designer. I'm awesome. I did this. I did that. I worked for this person and that person and this company. And I, 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 I (laughs) hire me. So, um, I appreciate that you brought that up earlier this morning because I, it's something I see the most, most often. And
0: it took me a while to really get that? Because I'm like, okay, yeah, but I mean, it's my website and people want to know about me and what I've done. And, you know, they want to see my credentials. They want to see my project. They want to know what I've done. And that is all true, but there are different ways to package that information to reach different people. Like my website used to be like, Leslie Myrick, I'm this, I do this, let's work together. And now It immediately, like the first copy you see on my website beside the head, you know, obviously my, the top navigation has my business name and all the menu stuff, but the first real words on my website say, ready to bust out a boring, like right off, boom. And that's going to find people and they're either going to say, I don't know what that means or hell yes, I'm ready to bust (laughs) out a boring. And they know right away what they're kind of getting into on my website. And they also learn how
1: much you love alliteration.
0: I love alliteration so much, <laughs> guys. It's kind of disgusting. I should not be allowed to write copy on me. No, I and think I am this, I so. <laughs> think this
1: is, I think this is an appropriate use of it, and it really drives home that point. Um, but you say, but well, well, what's the next sentence? Uh, the whole thing says, "Ready to bust out of boring?
0: I help homeowners bust out of boring homes and help interior designers launch awesome businesses they love." Yeah. Short, sweet. It's it's, exactly. it's about it is about me in a sense. I mean, it shows what I do but it is framing it for people. They're like, oh, hey, I have a house and my house is boring. This is the girl for me. And then I also say I help designers launch businesses they love. I don't say I help interior designers get to the next level in their business. I'm really targeted with those words to reach the people that I am looking to reach
1: right now. Exactly. No, I I think it's great. And it's clearly solving a problem. So my... My thing that I always tell people is that your very first opening words, it doesn't have to be the very first sentence, um, but very early on should be what I call head nodding copy. Um, I actually didn't make up that phrase. I think I learned that from Kendrick Shope, who's a sales copywriter from years ago. But she uses that phrase head nodding copy, which basically you want to make a statement or make a an imagine statement or pose a question that when somebody reads it, they're going to physically start nodding their head and saying to themselves, yes, yeah. I need what you have. And there's a psychological switch that happens when you put that into words for them. So these aren't my very first words, but they're on, uh, the very first paragraph. Um, I use, and actually before I read this, um, I think it's important that you use clients' words that you hear over and over again and repeat them back to totally. them. Don't use a bunch of designery language. Um, so I have, every time somebody puts a, um, reaches out to me on my website, I request for them to kind of give me a little bit more information about what they're struggling with. And all of those words are captured in a Google Drive uh uh, document. And so I've just kept all of that information and really highlighted words that come up over and over and over again. So, words like feeling stuck, feeling overwhelmed, too busy, right? I'm not targeting DIYers. I'm targeting people who um, are busy professionals and they need help. So, um, using their words and repeating them back to them is very important and blending that in with your head nodding copy. So, Um, my questions are, you have great personality and style. I know, or you wouldn't be here, but maybe you're too busy to pull it all together. Perhaps your home feels dark dated or unintentional and you feel stuck about making changes. Maybe you're starting from scratch and you're overwhelmed by all the decisions. So you end up doing nothing. And so these statements are intended to get people to if, if I'm the right fit, if I've got what it is they're looking for, they should be nodding their head at this point. And then I go into like how I can help um, help them with that. But um, all of this, guys, goes it comes from writing out your pain points, your client's pain points, and identifying what are your specific features and benefits. And we talked a bit about this in Episode 14, um, how to stand out as an interior designer. So if you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to that because we talk about it pretty a pretty high level, I'll I'll be honest, but maybe at some point we have a more in-depth episode on that. Yeah. You make a good point
0: about your copy, and I don't know who sort of coined this phrase, but your copy should either attract or repel people. You don't want to be vanilla. You don't want to be, I do interior design for all people of all budgets, and my style can work with any style, and I can work with you. Because nobody – You you know, you try to attract everybody, you attract nobody. Don't be the Walmart of interior designers. You want people to read your copy, especially those first few lines and say, hell yes, this is the person for me. Or heck no, like this doesn't feel like a fit at all. It is okay if your website is repelling people because it's going to repel the wrong people that are not the right clients for you. And that's great. The faster you can filter the ideal people, the winner clients mm-hmm. from the people that are not a good fit, the less time you're going to waste on dead end phone calls with them, answering emails with them, mm-hmm. having them follow you and never go any further because right. they're just not the right fit. He's just not that into you and it's okay.
1: <laughs> I think that's a great point. And I, I'm still, I think I've gotten better at that and really reaching my, specific audience. Um, I know very early on I had copied that was really attracting DIYers or people that were on a budget and, yeah, and those were great clients to start out with. Right. Um, I had been doing commercial design and I had a lot of experience in that world, but residential is a different animal and I needed to understand what are, what are homeowners struggling with? And so I got good experience, um, there, in that world but eventually it was time to start to really focus on higher end clients and i had to make website changes to attract that and repel diyers because totally. if i'm trying if i'm writing stuff that's attracting diyers then i need to be a blogger not an interior designer and that was an identity crisis that i struggled with for a really long time i was like but am I a blogger? Do I want to be a blogger? I lo- I love writing. I love putting together copy. And honestly, I do. If I, um, you know, could wake up tomorrow and have a wildly successful blog with five million followers, I would. I I don't have the time, energy, or patience to pull that together anymore. But um, so I, I think that's an important differentiation. Is what, exactly what you said. Is repelling the people that aren't your ideal client is just is fine too.
0: It's interesting you mentioned the blog, and I don't want to go too far down that, because I think a blog could be a whole other topic for another episode. But, you know, you mentioned wanting to target the right people, the clients that are not DIYers. Earlier this year, I ended up going through my whole blog archive. And, I mean, I've had my website as is since I got married in late 2010, so it's nine years. And I was blogging long before then. Anyway, what I did earlier this year is I went through my years and years of content and I archived posts that no longer fit with my brand and with the clients I wanted to attract. DIY is a great example, which is why I'm thinking of this. I had a lot of posts that were like, here's how to DIY your foyer wallpaper. Here's how to do this thing. And it was a great fit at the time. And it does reach a great potential audience. But like you, Kate, right now, I'm not looking for the DIYer. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for somebody that loves the look I have. And they might be interested, you know, oh, that's cool, she knows how to do it, but they don't care, they want me to do it. So I actually went from having a blog with, I don't know how many posts I've been posting weekly yes. for like my entire You're life. You're a very
1: dedicated blogger.
0: <laughs> thank you. I, I am. Thank you. I Thank you for noticing. And I mean, I took down hundreds of wow. posts and I don't feel bad yeah. because it means that when people go to my blog, even when they're going through the archives, even if they decide to go page by page by page, mm-hmm. they're going to see awesome quality content that is targeted to them. They're not going to be like, Wait, why? I mean, back in the day, guys, when like, this is probably 2007, I was like an artist slash designer slash blogger. I would get companies like, here, we want to give you this free mascara so you can talk about in your blog. I was like, okay. And then it made no sense. I was not a beauty blogger, but I had like old posts about like, here's this mascara I tried. And yeah, no, no good. So I hear you. I think, yeah,
1: let's archive the old post, keep the copy tight. That's great, Leslie. So, what else um, besides, let's, I want to focus on the homepage for a minute. So, we talked about your very first words need to be, I'm solving a problem, right? And y- using head nodding copy, targeting the right audience, um, being very clear about what it is that you do. You know, you're not a home stager. You're, I mean, if you are, then that needs to be clear. You're whatever it is that you're. Offering needs to be crystal clear. I have been on websites where it's like, what does she do? Yes. <laughs> so, and and that's one of those things that I think you can't see because it's, you're so close to it until somebody points it out to you and you're like, I never even noticed this. So, um, yes. I also think your homepage should have a very clear call to action. So Yes. How do they get a hold of you? I mean, for me, I'm thinking if we're talking to interior designers, it needs to be contact me here. Now, this is very clear. So for me, it's a 20 minute, uh, free phone consultation. I want to hear about your project. Where are you? What do you, what do you need? And then we'll, we'll go from there. We'll talk from there. And so that is very clear and it's, on every page (laughs) if they navigate away from the homepage it's at the top and it's at the bottom so um that is something that i've noticed on websites that does there's not a clear call to action and it you you know if somebody has to look for how to contact you they're not going to be hanging around for too long they're going to go find somebody else that they can get a hold of
0: (laughs) That is a huge website problem I see that can really turn away clients. If somebody has to dig to figure out how to get in touch with you, whether it's to email you, to book a call, to follow you on social, you're going to lose that person. I mean, it might seem it might seem like you're kind of shoving it in their face, but guys, you have to shove it in their face. You need to have your contact info above the fold, meaning people don't have to scroll to find out how to get in touch with you. So on my website at the very top, I have all my social media links, and then I have a very clear tab that says contact. You don't wanna try to be cutesy with this. Just say what it is so people know how to get in touch with you and always make sure you have it not only at the top above the fold, but I have it again in my footer. I obviously have it on the contact page. And like Kate was saying with the call to actions, I also do a 20-minute consultation call, and I have those buttons sprinkled throughout my site on every page so it's very clear, here is how you get in touch with me. You're not going to lose somebody faster than when you when they don't know how to get in touch with you. No one's going to fight that hard for you, even if you're the best designer in the world. Yeah,
1: and I think, too, people struggle – like. For the longest time, I would not put my phone number on there because I didn't want people cold calling me while I'm shopping at Target or getting groceries with my kids. (laughs) I wanted to, and I still do want to direct them to book that phone call, but I've gotten over that a little bit and I do put my phone number and my email on there. I never, nobody, nobody cold calls me. Occasionally it's a vendor that wants me to open an account with them or whatever. And I just tell them, can you just email me the information? But Um, I, I think that's where a lot of designers struggle or they get stuck is not wanting to put their contact information out there. Um, I agree. And that's totally up to you. you. Don't put your phone and email on there if you don't want to, but you need to give them some way to contact you. Um, well, for me, when I see a website
0: that doesn't have legitimate looking contact info, like not even a city Ooh. I feel like it, it just feels super scammy. I know we'll get more into you locations just, and why that's important. You just important. hit on one
1: of my other like really big pet peeves. And I was yeah. guilty of this forever until I heard somebody talk about it on a podcast. And it's not having your um, city where you work located pretty crystal clear. and. Yeah this was this was a while back and it was like, I don't know if I have my city where I'm working crystal clear. So now it's on there. it's at the bottom of my it's on my footer, but you could be researching designers and fall in love with a designer that's in Chicago and you didn't know until you got on the phone with her. realize you're yeah. you're in LA. so making sure that the cities and towns where you do your in-person work um, is clear. now, that's yeah. not to say that I don't get projects. I mean, I've had projects across the country and I've traveled for work and that is a possibility. But generally speaking, you're going to be targeting your local your local people.
0: Yeah. And even if you are an e-design based business and you don't do a lot of in-person and local, I think it's really important to say where you are. And the areas you service. And honestly, for me, it just, it builds trust and shows legitimacy. I'm really leery of websites where it's just like, email us here or fill out this contact form. I'm like, where, where are you? Am I, are, are you real? What's happening? And having the location, I mean, common sense, if you work from home, probably don't put your full home address on your website. It's weird and it's a privacy thing. I do have a full mailing address on the footer of my website. I pay about $10 a month for a mailing service to have a physical address that people can mail to. It is not my house. It is about an hour away from my house. But I think it looks really trustworthy. So do people, if somebody mails
1: you something, it gets forwarded to your house?
0: I log, I log on online, and I can see what's there, and I can choose to have it forwarded to me. If it's
1: junk, they can shred it and destroy it. How do you know what's there? Really I'm just curious about this. I've never heard of it. How do you know what's there? Oh, there's
0: lots of services. Um, you log in online, and they scan the envelope for oh, you. No kidding. And you can see what it looks like. Yeah, right? What's so it I mean, I've done a uh, – oh, let me find it. This particular service is called iPostal.com. It's, I mean, it's about $10 a month. I literally have never received a single letter, but I've only been in the Atlanta area for two months. And the only place I have this address is the footer of my marketing emails and my website, but it's there. I did not want a P.O. box. I did that mm. before, and I felt like I had to keep going to check it. Yeah. And then exactly there were times I didn't go, go and but, but I missed real mail. Um, and I was like, well, that was stupid. So I went with one of these mailing services. I've, I mean, I don't have that much experience. I've never gotten real mail with okay. it yet. How long have you but, had it? Anyway. Uh, since we moved okay. so a couple months. Cool. So not too long. I like
1: that. You're always good at finding these neat little Thank you. problem problems. But that is a way to get, <laughs> it's inexpensive. It is a way to get
0: a physical mailing address. And if you're like me where you live outside of a major city, but you are targeting that city, it can give you a mailing address in the city you want to be right. working in. So there are definitely options. Don't feel like if you have a home-based business like Kate and I do that you can't share your location. There are ways to do it. And I do think a phone number and some sort of address, even if it's just a city, for me, it builds trust. When I see that a company has listed a phone number, that feels to me like they are making themselves accessible and they want to be connected with. I agree. There's a lot of online companies where it's just like, just email me. I'm like, I don't even want to call you, but the fact that there is no phone
1: number just kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I I agree. I have a question about phone numbers. How do you feel about having... A different area code from the area that you serve. <laughs> I go back and forth on this. But just, so I, don't
0: think I was just going to talk about that. <laughs> so one thing I don't recommend for a business phone number is putting your actual cell phone. I would get a Google voice number right. or something similar. The reason I did that is because if I ever had my cell phone number compromised, if I was getting too inundated with spam calls and stuff, I didn't want to give up my phone right. number. But a Google Voice number you can always change. Right, that's what I did. So I, I went with and Google I have Voice. a
1: local Google phone number area code, but it gets forwarded to my cell phone with my
0: Boston yeah. area code. So what's funny because we've moved my my family and I we've moved for my husband's academic career. We've moved every four years. I did not want to keep getting a new phone number, and new business cards, and so. <laughs> Uh, I have a Los Angeles phone number because that is where I started my business officially. And then when we moved to Texas, I decided not to change it. And now we live in Georgia. So I'm on the opposite coast from where my area code is. For me, I find it to be an asset that I have lived in different places, worked in different cities. And I tend to attract a lot of clients From all over who appreciate the fact that I've lived and worked in Toronto, in L.A., in Texas. I'm not just sort of like, you know, a one-trick pony in that area. I think with cell phones and with long distance being less of an issue, it's not really a thing anymore. I could see, Kate, especially in Waco, the older clientele maybe being a little leery of someone that
1: didn't have the, quote, right area code. Exactly. What do you think about that? So I – right – that's the reason I did it. Honestly, is I. I think if you're in a big city, it's fine, and people expect that, and it works. For me, I know that this is a very. Um, it's a. I consider it a small town. Um, everybody knows each other, and um, people tend to enjoy working with local people. Um, and I just felt like wanting to be a part of the community right I want to be yeah
0: well you also know you're going to be there a while yeah yeah. So, my So I mean, I my, my my had but a time limit.
1: Pu- uh, my public number is, is a local 254 number. And I, and I think people somewhat mm-hmm. appreciate that, you know, that I'm, I'm yeah. a homegirl. <laughs> I'm just in too deep now. Like I've
0: got yard signs. I have every piece of collateral with my 323 phone number. I'm like, I don't want to have to spend money reprinting it. I would consider it in a little while. So maybe, because, and this
1: is getting off subject of from the website, but your collateral could have your website information, but not your phone number. That's true. If that,
0: but I mean, I like a business card. I feel like it's the same as the website having a phone number is important. But anyway, anyway, (laughs) basically with, with a lot of things we talk about, I don't think there's a right answer, but it depends on who you're marketing to. A lot of my clients, because I've lived in multiple places, I have relationships all over. I get clients in California and Toronto and Texas still. So I think it doesn't, it doesn't seem odd for me. If you're like, you know, homegrown, Maybe you left for college, and you know you're working back in your home city. Yeah, I think it's important to have that local connection, and it's one of those. It's a subtle little cue, but it builds trust. People are like, "Oh, she's from here. Right. They they know this area. They know what's happening around right. here.
1: I. I but that was a no big matter what question, it is, have it that visible. was a big question when I first moved here from potential new clients. Just like, well do you have connections? Do you have contacts? Do you have contractors? And I had to work my way through that. And now I can confidently say, say yes, but, um, yeah. So contact information needs to be crystal clear. I think if you do e-design, you can, you know, include a little blurb that says, you know, for example, mine would say, uh, Dallas, Waco, Austin, and anywhere in the U S with my e-design service with a link to what that's all about. Um, Okay, so we talked about having a very clear call to action. I want to talk about another pet peeve of mine, which is okay. too many call to actions. Oh, um, so, yes. what I mean by that is, so for me, it's book a call with me. This is what I want you to do. But I see where people will say, call me, read my blog, download my thing. And I think it's fine to have downloadable resources. You want them to Buy into you first, you know, if they're having any hesitations, but that needs to not be nearly as um, in your face as the contact me. Um, I think it can just distract people, and they can run out of time. And I, I it's, it's something that I feel very passionate about is having too many calls to action
0: <laughs> Calls to action. I think that's really smart, and on my website. And I think you're in the same boat. We are marketing not only to residential clients, you and I both also market coaching services and mentoring services to designers. Mm -hmm. And you have to be mindful of how you do that to make it clear and concise. And you're right, and not have people feel like they're in click overload. So I do, I basically have two main opt-ins and the one is book a call with me just like yours. And the other is my current lead magnet. You might hear it called a freebie or an opt-in, a lead magnet, basically something that you're giving away in exchange for a name and an email address so that you can email them.
1: And it's usually so something I have, that shows your expertise in a particular yes. area.
0: Yeah, it's got to be good. If you're yeah. going to ask someone for their email address and permission to contact them, you need to really over-deliver with your opt-in and give them great value. Um, that's something I don't want to dive into too much today. But if you have one, Make it known because even if someone is like hesitant to book a call, get them on your email list, get them learning about you and what you're offering, give them something of value and they will probably come back when they are ready and book that call with you. So it's kind of making sure people know that what action to take when they're new. And for me, it's one of two things, book a call with me if you're ready to talk. And if not, here's a really great free resource for you. Your resource should have your
1: call to action to contact you. Yes, you always want to. Absolutely, you always want to bring them, bring them back home. So your your primary call to action. If you're trying, if you're an interior designer and you're trying to get clients, if you have an opt in, needs to have your call to action again there. If you want to direct them to a blog, the end of every blog post needs to have your call to action to contact you and how to do it and make it easy. I used to have a very lengthy questionnaire for taking new clients before they even called me and I would ask them what's your address who lives in the house tell me about your what's going what what are you, what are you struggling with why are you reaching out to me um what's your budget all of these different things and i have determined that i think it's better to get a little bit less information up front and the reason for that is to make it very quick and simple and painless for them and not ask them to ask too many questions because it might slow them down or deter them. Another thing is I have, this was advice that somebody gave me a while back and I think it's good. So I did have a question about your budget in that initial call questionnaire. Um, I've now moved that. So they, I, I'll have a phone call with them. And then if we decide that we're going to do a consultation an in-person consultation, that's when I trigger a more in-depth questionnaire where I get all of that information. That way I don't have to spend a lot of time on the phone asking them. I can get really pointed with what's the project that we're talking about. I will find out later about your kids and your dogs and your career and all those things through a questionnaire that you're going to do on your own time. Um, but make that initial questionnaire very simple. And I took out the budget for this reason. I'm going to ask them about that, but people aren't ready to answer that question. in this at this moment. Um, there's a lot of things that could depend on it. They could put in a very small number and then I would get in my head. Oh, they don't have the budget that they need for this. And so I would actually not necessarily turn them down, but it's like, I would, before I even got on the phone, I wasn't very excited about them because I thought they didn't have the money for the project. And in actuality, it it was a, it was a psychological thing for me, but I think that they were, it was a missed opportunity to ask them for that number up up front, because how do I know that that number couldn't change if I showed them what a, what things could actually cost and what they could get for that and get them really excited about it. I haven't had an opportunity to get them excited about anything (laughs) where they're ready to fork over more money. So for that reason, I took that out at that point in time. You can determine quite a bit in your initial phone call, and then you can also do the questionnaire option, or you can straight up ask them over the phone, but um, that's my reason for taking it out at that moment. I
0: love that. I did the exact same thing. I used to have it as like a checkbox on my initial thing, like under 25,000, 25 to 50. And I found almost everybody just checked a box. They didn't, they didn't know. And then we got on the phone. They're like, yeah, I think I have, I don't know. I just, I didn't know what to check. So I checked, like it was useless anyway, at that point, it really does take more of a conversation to get to the heart of it. And I I was always looking at it like, okay, but I want to sort of like filter these clients right. and make sure they're serious. You don't want a high barrier to entry to getting somebody on the phone with you. You want to have that opportunity to be on the phone, to build that relationship, to learn more about them with your voice, with your tone, with your emotion. And that is the time, like you said, Kate, to dive deeper, ask more questions. And then in a subsequent questionnaire, I do the same thing. I go in a little bit more detail. I I do ask I think I ask about what they're prepared to invest, but I also ask, okay, one question that I found that's been super helpful to find out a client's budget or their sort of comfort is to ask them what they're comfortable spending on a sofa. Mm -hmm. That's been such a good indicator because there are some people that they think $1,000 is crazy expensive for a mm-hmm. sofa and then there's clients they're like well you know if it's over 10 that might be getting a little right. much i mean you you don't know what they are comfortable with and what they expect and that doesn't mean they're locked into oh well i can't spend more than a thousand but you kind of get a sense of where they're going to right, be right, right. in the grand scheme i think that's a good, so, that's a good yeah.
1: question good question to ask um and honestly i've had phone calls with i'm thinking of one woman recently who doesn't have a huge project it's a very small like not even a big deal like i could do this overnight in my sleep honestly but i fell in love with her she is a really lovely person who i just i was drawn to her there was like a, she's magnetic and she's just a lovely lovely human being and she's also extraordinarily well connected um with you know my my type of clients and my people so for that reason I mean primarily it's because of her because she's just a lovely person um but then there's also that other thing so if I had just been over filtering and not even taking those things into consideration or not getting on the phone with her um I think that could be a missed opportunity so I consider those things too when I'm filtering clients um Well, let's jump back to the website specifically. I think these are great
0: tangents and you know, they're all interrelated, but what's another thing that turns you think turns away potential clients when they come to a designer's website?
1: Well, for specifically talking about things that are turnoffs, personally, I cannot handle a bunch of flash, meaning (laughs) blinky photos or even like rotating photos really personally drive me bonkers. And, um, I I would say my uh, in my opinion your homepage should be a full width with no sidebar no banner so that you can really uh, eliminate that's where you're going to have a bunch of call to actions and that's where you're going to just confuse people or waste their time let's say they're looking at this over their lunch break and they've got thirty minutes you know and if they spend the whole time. And maybe part of it, too, is they they want to get to know you. And I understand they're going to be all over your website. But I think your homepage needs to eliminate the sidebar, not a bunch of blinky stuff. (laughs) Just keep it clean. That's the technical term, folks. Not a bunch of blinky stuff. Keep it clean. And, you know, if you've got that sort of thing, that's fine. But save it for the blog page. Save it for your about page. Um, But your homepage should just be full width and have a very clear call to action of what pain point you're you're helping solve?
0: Yeah, I think that's great. One thing for me that is a big turnoff is poor quality photos or too many photos. I think oh, less is yes. more.
1: That's a good. And one.
0: if you, there's, I think a lot of designers just feel like, well, I need to show, you know, a huge portfolio so people know what I can do. No, I would rather see three professionally shot vignettes to get a sense of you and your style and have photos that are quality yeah. than you throwing up a bunch of room shots you took on your iPhone and maybe tried to edit and brighten a little bit. <laughs> it just doesn't
1: look – Yeah, it really doesn't look like you take it seriously. Or like 20 pictures and of the same bedroom. Like, no, yeah. we don't need all of that. It is, <laughs> it is so – and I use
0: air quotes – it is so, quote, easy right now to get good quality photos. I'm not saying it's cheap. I would much rather see a designer – spend money on one photo shoot even if it's shooting vignettes in your own home hire a professional yeah. get a handful of great pictures and really curate what you have on your website I will say it again more is not better when it comes to photos yeah. I think poor quality photos grainy bad lighting poor composition even if they show a great project they're doing you a real disservice right so, so if there's something on your website that you're not feeling sure about, if it you're like, I don't know, but but I want to have, you know, I don't have any bathrooms and I want to show this one. If you no, no just take it down.
1: So <laughs> photography, like the, the idea is quality over quantity. Yes, uh, I couldn't absolutely. agree more. Um I, it, the first time I hired a, a real professional photographer, I had to just take a big deep breath and gulp <laughs> and they were yeah. worth every penny. Even yeah. I, to, I like tomorrow s- or Monday, we're going to shoot just a bathroom and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, it's $700 to shoot this one little bathroom. I now build it into my business model, but ding, ding, it's, ding. So, there you go. it's so worth it. It's so worth it.
0: Yeah. And let me just say, I understand that there are some newer designers out there f- for whom this is not even a possibility financially. Here is what I did to start. I would be fully transparent. I had a camera from Target, a DSLR, not just like a point and shoot. I got a free tripod from somebody. I figured it out. I took some online courses yeah. and I I pulled them off. I mean, looking at them now compared to the photos that have been professionally shot, yeah, they're not as strong, but it's a, it's the time money trade-off. You can either spend the time learning photography, trying to do it yourself, and you'll probably get a fine result that you can use. Or you can say, okay, I if I sell two more consultations, I can afford this photo shoot. So it's really about figuring out if you want to know the photography and make it happen, or if you can find ways to earn more income to hire the photographer. And like Kate said- you could, Yeah,
1: you could be doing billable yeah. work
0: instead of trying to figure out how to do your photography. Exactly. <laughs> build Build it into your rates. That is something that is a cost of doing business in interior design is photographing your projects professionally.
1: I agree. Since we're on the subject of photos, I think there's a another, um, there's, there's a lot of missed opportunities is what I see a lot of. And one of the missed opportunities that I see is just putting up pictures of your portfolio or of a specific project, but then there's no story behind it. And I think that if you treat each project as an opportunity to write about, even if you're not a regular blogger, you don't blog all the time. I still think if you can take the time to write out a little bit about the project, it achieves a couple of things. Number one, it gives clients, potential clients, a sense of your personality. Um, Two, I think it shows them your expertise and how you overcame a problem. I think that you should write about it as if, um, in a, in an editorial fashion, as if you were, as if this was going to be featured in a magazine. You know what what problem did we solve in this project for this client? And really talk about that. And it doesn't have to be super long, but I think that um, I see a lot of websites where they just put up portfolio pictures of projects, but there's no context and it's a missed opportunity.
0: I think that's great. You know, my portfolio page right now is just a gallery of images, but I go into a deeper dive in a blog post. I do every. Yeah project as like a reveal, but I never thought to link the two, like to have a link to that project's blog post on the portfolio page. Good thinking. Uh, Benderwald. I like that.
1: Yeah. And I'm overdue. This is one of those things that I mentioned, uh, earlier is needing to do myself is, um, I've got a handful of projects that are shot that are not on my website and, I've been hesitating because I'm like, oh, I need to write the post that goes with that. <laughs> and so for now, I just need to put the pictures up there, but I do need to write those posts. And I've, I I, know I definitely have a project already on the website where there is no context. So all things that I um, value and need to make time for. But you guys, this is business well, development time. Yeah. Let's talk about blog
0: posts then since you mentioned writing, you know, needing to write a company blog post, that is definitely something that I feel that turns away potential clients. And it's a subtle thing. No one's going to say this directly to you, but if you're, if you choose to have a blog, which spoiler alert, I think you should, and you are posting. I think you should if you enjoy (laughs) writing. Okay. That's true. But well, no, I'm going to say, I think you should, but I'll, I'll go into more (laughs) about why. Um, But I think consistency is key. Whether you choose to post weekly like I do, whether you choose to post once a month, once every six months, I don't care what it is, just show up when you say you're going to show up on that blog. I think there is nothing worse than somebody who gets on fire for creating content and does a post a week for two months and then you don't hear from them for three months. It just It's subtle, but it's one of those things that I think really communicates to people who are scoping you out on your website that... Maybe there's issues with trust or commitment or follow through. I think that, okay, fine, Kate, you're right. You don't have to blog. But (laughs) I think it's a great way to have new content, to have things to talk about, to have an opportunity to go deeper with your projects and your knowledge. But inconsistent blog posts are a big turnoff to me.
1: So I think people want to know what to expect. I'm going to talk to the people listening who are probably fall a little bit more in my camp. I love to blog. Uh, but I have a hard time being consistent. So what I've done to mediate that is I, first of all, I don't set up an expectation that I'm a weekly blogger. So I took that expectation away and I created a handful of what I call evergreen content that is available on my website that shows expertise. um, And it doesn't get dated. You know, I don't have a bunch of posts on there about how to decorate for Christmas or new, new year's freshening up your, you know, there, there might be a little bit of seasonality to a few of them, but generally speaking, it's evergreen content because when I get busy with projects, I don't make blogging a priority. It's just a thing for me. Um, so if you're somebody that's listening that either doesn't enjoy writing, but you feel like you need a blog post, I think Leslie's right. A blog post is very valuable. It gets people to understand your personality. It gets people to understand your expertise and hear what you think about and how you plan for projects. Um it's super great for SEO. Um and so for a lot of reasons it's it's great and it's a it's a way if somebody's shopping you or they're not quite ready to call you to get to know you a little bit. So I think it's super valuable. But if you're like me and you have a hard time committing to something um on a regular basis, I think if you don't set up the expectation, but you create it and you put it there, um, you can email it out too. You can put it on your social media when it, when it does go on there. But, um, I personally, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with that. Um, because I'm not touting myself as a blogger. Um, but if you, but if you are going to, uh, do it regularly, I would say, to follow Leslie's advice. Do be consistent about it. Um, but yeah. find a schedule, an account, a blogging calendar that works, that's realistic for you. Even if it's flipping quarterly, who cares? Just yeah. figure it out and stick. I think the the important takeaway is keep your
0: promises with your blog. Inconsistencies, flakiness, yeah. they, they show to people. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to do it. And I will say, posting weekly is not something that just happens. This yeah. is I mean, this is a whole other topic for another day. But I mean, I have I create an editorial calendar every every December. I plan out the whole year's worth of blog posts. Like this takes intentionality. I have Mondays blocked off, but it's not for everybody. Do crank but out if a you whole choose blog post to do in it one
1: day and one afternoon, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't take me a whole day to do one post. But also, I've done the forethought for them. I'm not when I go to sit down to write. I usually already have the images figured out and an idea of the content. I'm not like, okay, I need to photograph something to to Correct. write about. So that's an aspect of my business that is just part of my business. And I have built it in. It's not for everybody. If you're going to do it, be consistent. Otherwise, don't do it.
1: Uh, Well, I'm going to tag team a little bit on the blog conversation. Um, I feel like another missed opportunity is not talking about your – using it as an opportunity to talk about your expertise versus – doing a million blog posts, doing roundups of whatever, yeah, I mean, you've you had know, sofas, Mention some of the topics you've I done. Did the stop with the roundups. It's been done one bajillion times. <laughs> Do them every now and then or whatever. But really think about your content as a way to talk about your expertise. And it doesn't have to be in a flashy way. It can be things like how... How to pick your countertop material? You know, what are the pros and cons of marble versus granite versus quartz versus butcher block? Um, what about your expertise in any kind of materials like wallpaper or upholstery? Um, talk, do a behind the scenes look at your process or your install day. Um, talk about your projects that you've done, that you've got photographed and you want to share what that's about. But, um, so many of them, and I think it works if you are doing as much um, content and as, as doing it weekly, then I think you can put more of those types of sprinkle more of those posts in. But if that's all of your posts, then you're, you're really attracting DIYers, And that's another thing that I see, like we talked about that earlier was, um, you almost want to give them a sense of overwhelm <laughs> so that they yeah, feel like, like, uh, like, so awesome. like I don't want to have to read about all these quartz versus marble versus whatever, but you clearly know what you're talking about. So I'm going to give you a call. <laughs>
0: Yeah, You have a recent post called The Devil's in the Details, 12 Delightful Home Details That Are Anything But Basic. That is a bitchin' blog post. <laughs> it shows that you are such an
1: expert. You pay attention to the little things. I love it. Well, thank you. It's I really good. enjoyed putting that one together. I think, too, that that is showing that I'm attracting a, a luxury-level clientele that's willing yes. to spend expensive money on – expensive money, that doesn't make sense, but <laughs> – are willing to buy expensive, uh, or, or, nicer, um, switch plate covers, you know? Um, yeah. so think about your ideal client and what, what are they going to be interested in knowing about when you're, when you're writing your blog post Yeah, talk I love directly it. to them.
0: So that's a lot of, a lot of stuff we've just thrown at you. Let's start wrapping this thing up. Cause we're, Before,
1: we could go on all know, day about I know, websites. I have one more thing that I realized today, I, my old one was really good and I need to go back and fix this, but guys, she's shaking a pen at me right now. She is serious (laughs) about what she's about to say. I'm all about missed opportunities. So I don't, your 404 page is an error page. Oh, yes. if you have, if somebody accidentally lands on an old link that doesn't work anymore, then they are automatically directed to a 404 page. And a lot of times that's just a blank page that just says 404 and it has like your, maybe your header or your tabs at the top. and um, but this is a missed opportunity to be creative. And what I recommend is putting in a couple of links like, Oh, sorry, this is not, um, sorry, that page is gone or whatever. Find a creative way to say it, but then give them a couple of really common links. Like perhaps you were, were you looking for this instead? Were you looking for how to book a consultation with me? Go here. Did you want to read a blog post? Go here and just give them a couple of quick links. Um, And also you want to include a search feature in there as well. So if none of those things are what they were looking for, put in a way for them to search what it is they were looking for and help them along the way. Um, So that's one missed opportunity. And one final one is after they book a call with you through your contact form, make sure you have a really strong message after that so that they know for sure that they're going to care from you. So mine says, thank you so much. We will call you within 24 hours. I think now I could, I have them actually book a call, but before it was just a contact form. Um, it said, we will call you within 24 hours, unless it's a weekend or a holiday. And this way they knew when they would be hearing from me. Um, then I would also say in the meantime, if you'd like to read, um, I, I usually would direct them to a behind the scenes. I have a behind the scenes look at our process post. That's very in depth about how we work. And so I direct them there to try to keep them hanging out for as long as, as long as I can, instead of just like, thanks. Bye. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. All right. Well, speaking of thanks, bye. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Bye, Kate. This is great. Oh, um, yeah. Websites. um, Build in time regularly once, once every year, you know, end of the year is a good time to do it, to go do a website audit and really sit down page by page by page and figure out what needs to be updated, made more relevant, clarified.
0: A lot of times it's about eliminating, not adding.
1: Yeah. So of course,
0: there's probably great things you could add, but I feel like most websites are overdone. Yeah not underdone yeah. so don't be afraid to kind of to simplify Strong. I mean you might it might be making your heartbeat feel like but if I don't have that on there they won't know how to do x y or z or they won't see this it's okay I can't, you've got social I media get them on your email you, list make it Princh. simple and beautiful knock their socks off good quality photos tell them where to reach you have a real phone number and email address and you're gonna win at life and business. The end. Yeah. Well, no, but <laughs> it's a darn good start. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: for sure. All right. So, um, final thoughts: photography, quality over quantity. I love that. Absolutely. Yep. Get a buddy. Yep. Review it. If you can't, you know, there's great
0: website consultants, digital marketing experts that can help you too.
1: Great option sure if you know somebody make your strong. Sound super spammy and not like you and your voice. Yeah, but.
0: You don't, that's a great asset if you can afford it and it's the level you're at. I think it could be a great thing. Don't feel like not having a budget for this right now is going to hold you back. So grab a friend, especially somebody who is either an ideal kind of client for you, or just someone who maybe is another business owner that gets this and walk through it with them. Be, spend some time
1: swapping ideas about each other's websites. If you guys want to book a call with me and do a one-on-one website audit, I offer that. It's my mentor service. It's uh, one-off phone calls, and you can book that at uh, designersoasis. dot com.
0: Do it, Kate's the bomb, diggity.
1: I love this sort of thing, so I'll I'll get down to the nitty gritty.
0: <laughs> yeah. And before we go, I want to remind you guys to download your free mini business toolkit. You can find that at designersgettingcoffee.com. We've put together a really awesome package for you with an install day box checklist, a handy reference guide that talks about typical design project hours to help you estimate. Um, We've also got our favorite design and business tools we use, and there's more. So you can grab yours at designersgettingcoffee.com right there on the homepage. It's our call to action right there on the homepage. You'll see it.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Leslie.
0: Thanks, Kate. Have a great weekend.
1: You too. Bye. Bye.
0: Hey, designer. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you.
1: For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Designers Getting Coffee.